This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Friday the 1st of October 2021. And Norman, we heard a lot a few months ago about how New South Wales took a long time to lock down when the Delta outbreak started there and Victoria, in contrast, locked down relatively quickly once uh, that outbreak spread. But what's sort of happened since then is that the curves have pretty much gone in the same direction anyway. And what does that mean? We always said on this podcast that the faster you lock down, the better it is in the long run. Why does it not seem to have made any difference? Well, it's different circumstances. And the so in, in Victoria, they were unlucky. They had more than one source of the current outbreak, possibly even as many as three. I don't think they've tracked that down. I'm not sure whether we'll ever know. So they were dealing with different clusters. It's really been very focused on the northern and western suburbs. Adherence is just really hard in those areas where people have got to earn a living. And people are exhausted in Victoria of all the lockdowns, so their compliance is lower. So I think it's just a really hard job to control that. And as in New South Wales, I mean, I haven't seen the modelling for Victoria that would have predicted where Victoria would have been had they not had contact tracing and the lockdown that they've had. But it's looking as though it's very similar to the way New South Wales went with a very similar RF, in other words, effective reproduction number. And the Burnett said, the Burnett Institute modelling said that if there hadn't been a lockdown and the contact tracing that they've had in New South Wales, by the beginning of August, they'd have had 10,000 cases a day. So you assume move forward a few weeks with Victoria, if they hadn't had lockdown and they hadn't had contact tracing, they would be at that sort of number of cases a day. So it's looking very similar to New South Wales. If it is similar to New South Wales, then vaccination at high levels will start to bring it around. Yeah, because we are seeing that dip now in New South Wales, as we discussed yesterday, hopefully Victoria will head in the same direction. And one of the ways they're trying to accelerate that is that they've now reduced the Pfizer dosage interval to to three weeks, which was the original recommended interval that extended it to basically get more first doses into arms, as we've talked about before at length on this podcast, but they're back down to the three-week mark to just get those people fully vaccinated as soon as possible. Yeah, as the supplies come through. And the other thing to watch very closely in Victoria is the impact on the hospital system, the number of staff who are on furlough because of spread within hospitals. People are very tired and there are stresses in the system. And of course, uh, the other place in Australia in outbreak is the ACT and the rest of the country, I suppose, if they're not closely watching what's happening in New South Wales and Victoria, they should be uh, getting those vaccination rates up as high as possible to stave off the risk of an outbreak growing to this size anywhere else. Yeah, well, the ACT is doing pretty well and Queensland looks as though it might be getting things under control. Probably a bit too early to say. So the other thing, we've focused so much on COVID this year. I mean, the podcast is called Coronacast after all, but there's other illnesses that people have. There's different reasons why people die. And there's new stats from the Australian Bureau of Statistics quantifying that. And it's actually some pretty good news. Yeah. So important data came out over the last couple of days, and it is good news. And it's good news that other countries would really love to have. Um, but they don't because of huge death rates amongst COVID. I mean, just before I get onto the Australian data, there are suggestions that in Europe, life expectancy will reverse over the last year or so during the COVID pandemic because so many tens or hundreds of thousands of people have died and they've died early in their life. So younger people who've died, that has a much bigger impact on life expectancy. So the ABS data basically show that, um, so forget about numbers of deaths, talk about the rate of dying. Uh, according to your age. 
And what that shows is that cancer is going down, heart disease continues to go down as it has for quite a a few years, strokes, deaths from strokes are going down. Interestingly, deaths from alcohol went up, and that may well be a phenomenon of people drinking too much at home. Suicide rates dropped, although suicide is still the highest cause of premature mortality in Australia. It beats heart disease, and that means years of life lost. If you're looking at numbers of years of life lost, suicide is at the top of the list because it hits people in their youth, but suicide rates went down. I spoke to Professor Ian Hickey, whose group did some modelling on this last year, which predicted quite dark consequences, but they also said that if you had government intervention with income support, that would mitigate that, and they believe that's still going to show the case this year, although they're worried about people in certain industries and that you might get a delayed uptick with suicide and self-harm in the years to come. And that's also a problem in the cancer data. So what? So Cancer Australia also came out with data um, over the last couple of days, which showed that diagnostic procedures for 14 cancers and therapeutic procedures for uh, 14 different cancers, so including some of the commonest ones, significantly dropped in 2020, such that the worry is that there will be missed diagnoses of people with cancer. And if you look at just Victoria, they reckon that in 2020, just in Victoria, there could be 2,500 people whose cancers have been missed. And in the long term, that would mean 350 people who might have died, who might die prematurely, who might not otherwise. And that's just in Victoria. So there's a significant issue being stored up for cancer and maybe psychological issues as well. Right. So your risk of dying, depending on your age, seems to be better than it was before, but it might not be, we might not have the full picture quite yet. No. And, but it, the really dramatic effect has been on respiratory diseases. Nobody between uh, July and the end of May 2021, not a single person died of influenza, not one. Yeah. And so deaths from acute respiratory illness fell. And that's because we're in a respiratory pandemic and we're socially distancing and taking all the precautions there. So that just shows you the dramatic effect on influenza. The deaths from COVID since May and this year have been significant, but they may not be enough to sway the picture that much. Whereas in Europe and the United States, they've been huge and could well make a difference to life expectancy. Well, it's Friday and we always promise Quick Fire Friday and we do not always deliver on it. But Norman, today I want to do some questions. Some of them can be slow water Friday and some of them will be Quick Fire Friday. So first question from Nathan, who's just completed 14 days in isolation after being a close contact, no symptoms, tested negative. Nathan's fully vaccinated with Pfizer, but was done as part of the 1A rollout back in April and You mentioned a drop in vaccine efficacy after about six months, and Nathan's wondering if he did, in fact, come into contact with the virus, and as you say, Norman, it told it to pee off. Does this exposure actually increase the body's response against future infection? Is it like a refresher course for your immune system? If indeed you get infected, it's a refresher course, but it doesn't sound as if you got infected. So you um, you peed it off, pissed it off, should I say? Let's just be, let's just call a spade a spade. Your body told it to go away and didn't get the chance for the immune system to respond. So two things happened. One is that you didn't come in contact with the virus and you didn't get infected, or you did come in contact with the virus and your and your body just glanced it off. I think it only becomes a stimulant for your immune system if it actually gets into your body and you get an established infection. If your body is fighting it off because it knows how to because of the vaccine, then surely your immune system's involved. Like that should be a prompt for your immune system. Well, it might be. 
But whether or not it, it actually increases your immune response for future infections, I don't know the answer to that question. Well, if you're an immunologist... Do, do, do fix us up on this one. But my, my, my view, to be corrected, is it's got to actually get inside your body to stimulate a very big immune response for it to happen. But I take your point. I look forward to our large listenership of immunologists writing in and setting us straight, either you or me. We will be set straight. There's no question about that. Jane says, uh, well, Jane says firstly that she listens to us every day while she eats her breakfast. Hello, Jane. Hope you're having a nice breakfast this morning. Her kids all in their 20s got the second dose of AstraZeneca at six weeks. We've mentioned the, the effectiveness interval of nine weeks, but she's wondering what the effectiveness is at six weeks. There was a caveat with that. So that's the British data on vaccine effectiveness, which they talked about under nine weeks and over nine weeks. The trouble with the British data on dosage intervals is that it's, it's pretty loose and it's pretty crude at nine weeks. The assumption is that Astra at six weeks gives you pretty good immunity, but nobody can really tell you the extent of that. If you want to take the British data, six weeks versus, say, 10 weeks, there would be no difference from the British data. But you've really got to take that with a pinch of salt. And I think what people are more worried about is too short an interval. So maybe three weeks, and they're more worried about Pfizer, actually. So three weeks with Pfizer versus six weeks. And some people think, actually, Pfizer, you're better off with a four to six week gap with, with Pfizer rather than being too worried about AstraZeneca. Okay, well, that's enough slow answers to questions, Norman. It's, it's Quick Fire Friday now, and we're going to do a segment called WWND, What Would Norman Do? I'm going to make a bracelet to wear. Uh, firstly, great to hear you're ready to get back on a plane, Norman. What about the airports themselves? Would you or wouldn't you? Yes, I would, as long, um, and I'm assuming that airports are going to insist that people are immunised before they get in as well. They're large, airy places, and hopefully there'll be COVID-safe procedures in place in terms of separation and not many pinch points. How you get on the plane is going to be important, but I'm not that worried about the airport. Okay. Would you go on a cruise? I will never go on a cruise. In fact, I've never been on a cruise. As far as I'm concerned, these boats are petri dishes. <laughs> And would you go to a primary school full of unvaccinated small people? I'd, well, if I had to give a talk to kids, I would. If I was immunised as I am and I'd wear a mask. So, yes, I would. But you wouldn't go as a student? Oh, or would I go to a primary school as a student? <laughs> oh, really? Well, that's, that's a great compliment. Thank you very much. I'll now start sucking my thumb. I think with primary schools, they are a risk. You did see a surge in uh, Delta cases in Scotland and in England with the return to school. But you've really got to balance that against homeschooling and the pressure on parents and parents going back to work. So I think it's a lower than average risk environment, um, but you've got to protect the kids as much as possible with ventilation, masks, fully vaccinated teachers. Well, that's all we've got time for on today's CoronaCast. Uh, Monday is a public holiday in the states in which Norman and I reside. So we'll be back in your feed on Tuesday, the 5th of October. See you then.